Well, those songs were perfect for tonight. Glad you're here this evening, and we continue on in this little series that we're looking at 1 Peter, and the idea in 1 Peter is, is about hope for the future, and tonight about being holy again. Last week we talked a little about holiness. Tonight we talk about it again because it's all in these passages, and we're just taking them as they come. And there's so much wisdom in this little tiny letter, so much for us to learn. And so tonight we're going to jump right into it in First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, where the Bible says this, But just as he who called you is holy, just as God is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. So what Peter calls his people to, what Peter calls us to, is to live this life of holiness, of realizing who we are, we were not called to, to a life of mediocrity. Our goal isn't mediocrity. You know what it's like sometimes in life? There are some things you just have to decide, I'm not going to ace that thing because I've got all these other things that are more important. So maybe some, some of you in school said, if I can just pass, that's all I want. Now, some of you, sometimes if I can just pass, that's really all I need. But sometimes there were those folks who said, that's all I want. I had a roommate in college that he had like a 95 or something in some class he was taking. He had figured it out that if he made like a 34 or something on the final, he could pass the class. He made like a 38. And so he went, I passed the class. Well, that's silly, right? I would... I would Make it rougher, but tougher, but I don't, want to, I don't want to say something, get me in trouble with your kids, right? That is just crazy to do something like that. Our goal when it comes to the Christian life is to live like Jesus, to be holy like God. And so it's not just saying, what are the fewest things I can do and go to heaven? Sometimes that's the way it feels. What is the least amount of money I can give and, be like, and, and God be happy with me? What, is, what are the fewest times that I have to go to church in order for God to not get upset? What is it that I have to do that just barely cut it? Instead, God did not call us to a life of mediocrity. He called us to a life of holiness, and it's a completely different way at looking at things. You know, I like this line that I saw somewhere that, that I'll probably use, I'll have to use on a Sunday morning at some point when there are more people, right? But some people see the cup that is half empty and some see the cup that is half full. But if you are a Christian, you should see a cup that is overflowing, right? And when you look at your cup as overflowing, you see the world a lot differently than a person who sees it half empty or even half full. It's completely different from perspective. And so God called us to this life of holiness and he, wants, he says he wants us to know that he paid a great price for us, the precious blood of Jesus. 
Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired that extra word there, not just blood of Jesus, but precious blood of Jesus? Blood that flowed through Jesus, the only blood to ever be in a human that had not sinned and did not sin. That blood was given for us. Now, for some of us, that makes us feel pretty good. For some of us, it may not move us at all. For others of us, that might even make us feel bad because we think we're not worth it. And the the truth is, in one sense, we're not worth it. But in another sense, we are worth it. We're worth it because God said we were worth it. We're worth it because God said, you are so important to me that I'm giving you my son. And he's going to die for you. So yes, in a sense, we are worth it. And and we are valuable. He's telling us, you are valuable. You are important in my kingdom. You remember what he says that we will hear later on as we study 1 Peter. He's going to say, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You have value. When you hear negative talk about yourself, just know this, that that negative talk, that whisper you hear is not from God. God is not whispering negative things to you. You're not valuable enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not educated enough. That is not God saying that. That comes from you, or it comes from Satan, or it comes from negativity, or however you want to put that, it is not from God. Because what God says is, you're holy. I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. I want you to come into my presence, into my kingdom, and I will make you that way. God has great expectations for us. It's not that he necessarily wants you to to become an astronaut or become a, the president or whatever we used to say when we were kids. It's not like that. But he has this expectation that we will be his followers, that we will be disciples of Jesus, that we will do what Jesus wants, that we will follow Jesus, that we'll love our neighbors and that we'll love him, that we'll go into all the world or even just into all of our community and tell people about Christ He has these incredible expectations, and we should have expectations too. Tonight, even to a crowd that's a Sunday night crowd or one that's watching online, some of us come just because it's what we do. And if we were to say, okay, everybody has to fill this out, you can't leave the room until this is done, what expectations do you have about your faith in the next week? What is it that you expect to do with your faith in the next week? My guess is some of us would hold the pencil for a long, long time. And matter of fact, we may end up not putting anything at all because we have no expectation about our faith. But God has expectations about us. And if God has an expectation of me to be like him, to live like him, and to follow him, then I should be having some expectations. How am I going to tell people about Jesus? How am I going to serve in in his name? How am I going to be different in a positive way in my workplace? How am I going to treat my, my friends or my family or my roommates or whoever it is? How am I going to do that? There's an expectation that ought, to, that ought to be there for us. So he goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure, pure spiritual milk. <coughs> Excuse me. Just choked up thinking about milk. So that by it, I like milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You notice that word there? We often talk about these things, therefore. Therefore what? Means what he was talking about before. Because God is holy and I want you to be holy. What is the opposite of un? What is the opposite of holiness? What is unholy? Well, he starts to tell us what it's like. It's malice, it's deceit, it's hypocrisy, it's envy, it's slander. He doesn't list everything that's unholy, but this is enough. One thing you see about every one of these things is they're selfish, aren't they? They're all inward turned, aren't they? Because I want something that you have. I'm going to say something about you. I want what you have. I'm going to do something against you in order to lift myself up. So he says, what is unholy is malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. But now that you are a Christian, you ought to know better than that. You see these things like malice and envy and deceit and slander and hypocrisy, they are anti-God. They are against God. They are the opposite of God. And so some of us, while we may be proclaiming ourselves as Christians, if we have envy in our hearts about what somebody else has or about what, whatever I want, I may have God in my heart, but I also got some anti-God in my heart. And so it may be whenever I'm speaking against other people that I'm slandering other people, that is anti-God that is coming out. That is not God coming out of me. Whenever I'm a hypocrite, it is anti-God coming out. It is not God coming out of me. And the interesting thing about all of these things, <coughs> excuse me, is they hurt more than people. They hurt God. They hurt God. The last thing God wants is for us to sin. The last thing he wants in, in, in particular thinking about this passage is for us to be full of malice. Hatred, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. The last thing he wants is that. And so God is hurt by our sin because of the sins we do. Now, also like another thing he says here, he is writing specifically to Christians. There are times that non-Christians are addressed, but he is speaking specifically to Christians in this passage. And he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, do not go back. Now, you can see on our screen, there is a picture of a chocolate cake. And let me tell you, it has a Snickers and a pretzel and a malt ball on it. I don't know what else on it. But, but the other thing is an old moldy orange. If you have been eating old moldy oranges, and then you tasted chocolate cake that looked like that, would you really go back to an old moldy orange? He said, oh, you know, I don't, the cake is really good, but I really like these moldy oranges a lot better, right? You would never say something like that. Do you remember there used to be a commercial on TV, a Febreze commercial? And they would take people, they'd blindfold them, take them into a room, and they would sit them down on a couch. 
And, you know, they'd be talking about how great it smelled. Oh, this room is wonderful. And then they turn on the lights, and, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of pet hair and gross smells and, I don't know, kimchi. I don't know what was in the room, but everything smelled, right? Or it would have smelled if they hadn't sprayed Febreze. Some of us are living among rotten fruit, when we know what's good, we've been baptized into Christ. We were so excited and, and so excited. People hugged us and loved us and we got involved in ministries. And then those people walk away and they start eating rotten fruit again because somehow they've convinced themselves that rotten fruit tastes good or maybe it's all that they deserve or all that they're worth as far as they think. God says, you are holy, you are called to be better than that. My son died for you. Don't go backwards, go forward, be holy like I am holy. Put on good things rather than bad things. Live in a good way rather than a bad way. So my question for us tonight is, what would it make, what would make you want to be like Jesus? What would make you want to be like Jesus? I don't know if you recognize this depiction of Jesus, but if you have watched The Chosen, this is the Jesus from The Chosen. And I like that guy. <laughs> I like the real one a lot more. But I like his depiction of Jesus, if you have seen it. We are late to the game and just now watching it. I've decided if you have not watched it, the first one or two episodes are pretty slow, and then it gets going. And it's not exact because as even they tell you in the midst of it, Mary says, if all the words about Jesus would have been written down, there, all the books wouldn't take all that. You know, you couldn't, uh, there wouldn't be enough space. That comes from John also, in case you don't know. And so as I watched, two or three episodes at a time seemed to be the way to make it really powerful. And I find that I have tears almost every time I watch it of thinking about Jesus and the encounters that he has with people and what Jesus is like. Now, let me tell you another interesting thing. When we think about what would make us want to be like Jesus, there are several well-known college professors out there in the, in the world, in the religious world. I don't mean in, the, in churches of Christ, but those that have written a lot of books. Scott McKnight's one of those, several others that give a test to their students. And they ask some questions about Jesus. And they say things like, what do you think Jesus was like? Do you think Jesus was ever moody? Do you think Jesus had anxiety? Do you think Jesus was ever, you know, whatever? Was he ever sleepy? Was he ever lazy? Whatever you want to say. And what they have found out is that in almost every case, people make Jesus look like themselves instead of transforming to look like Jesus. We create our own Jesus sometimes. I hope we don't hear, but I'm telling you a lot of people put Jesus in their box when instead we are to be in Jesus' realm. Some of you know, of the, of, some of you watch golf, at least watch the Masters, some of you do, last year's winner, uh, Scotty Schefter, some of you have seen the little thing that Scotty Schefter said after he won. And Scotty Schefter, as they were talking to him, he said, you know, I'm a man of faith. And he said, I was talking to my wife the night before 
the finals the night on Saturday night. And she said, you know, you may not win. You may lose by 10 strokes. You may win. And you may never win again. And you may win a lot. But I want you to know this. No matter what, I will always love you. And Jesus will always love you. Well, I can't guarantee that people will always love you. But I can guarantee you that the Son of God, when you talk about what the Son of God really looks like and what he really is, is he will really love you. Even when we are unholy, he loves us. So tonight, maybe you're ready to come to that holy God that we sang about. Maybe you're ready to put him first. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into him. Maybe you need prayers. You need to write to elders at mcoc.org and put Christ first. Come tonight as we stand and sing.